Okay, so the first for the first time last week, or the first time I'm aware, uh, the Crime and Death Corporation, you know, do the initials, um, said because they keep track of muth. You remember the Hebrew word for expiring is muth. They keep track of the muths from the Axe and Jack scene, and for the first time last week, they said there was more muths as a result of the Jack scene than of the COVIDs. Now we know that's been true for you know many months, but at least they're admitting it. So that would be, um, you know, they don't tell you stuff that if they're telling you that it's because they're preparing you for something. It's not because they want you to know that. So I'm guessing the preparation. This is just part of the pathway of getting the the booster shot out for the Delta variant and stuff. Is my guess, but anyway. They're more muertes from the, <laughs> yeah, silly me. I use Hebrew words. I should use Spanish words. You know, Cinco Garcias. Yeah, there are more muertes from the action Jack scene than from the COVID. From the CDC. There's, oh, from the Crime and Death Corporation. Well, that one's going to get X. I'm going to get canceled. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, it's just, it's just the usual stuff, you know. Listen to jdfarag.org. He'll tell you all the stuff that I'm just getting tired of telling you about. So we have been talking for the last couple of weeks about uh, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent or the seed of Cain or, you know, and all that stuff. And um, we're going to, you know, this all sort of ties together, hopefully, in your mind. It kind of does in mine, probably not in yours. Uh, we, we, we started talking about Adam being possibly, you know, created from the dust of the uh, uh, Giza Plateau. And then later the pyramid was put there. And I believe that the pyramid was a repository of the books that uh, Enoch brought back from heaven, the books of, you know, all the stuff. And he left them there because they, uh, they all knew there was going to be a flood and a fire. Father Adam, Adam had told them there was going to be a flood and a fire. He didn't know which was coming first. So they built the two, um, uh, what do you call them? The two things. They built the one that would withstand the fire and one that would withstand the flood. And, and supposedly, and this was interesting. I didn't know this when I was talking about that, but uh, Josephus, the historian in his book of the antiquities of the Jews, I think in book two, chapter like one, right, right, right up front, it's talking about that same thing. And he was saying, um, you know, and he's a historian. So he's saying this as fact that the sons of Seth, the, the Methuselah and all the sons of Seth and all that, had this information and they stored it in this, um, this, they didn't use the word temple, this this thing that Isaiah was, was later, or had previously described as being on the border and in the center of Egypt. So it's just interesting to get that, or I thought it was, from uh, Josephus as well as from the various books of the Bible and uh some of the other books, but apparently that was the purpose was to, was to preserve the knowledge of heaven for the generations after the flood, thinking the generations after the flood would be basically good and righteous. And this would be good information. And, you know, my guess is that that information has gone to the dark side and that's why they are able to do the things that they're doing. But anyway, if, if Adam was created out of the dust of Giza, then, um, Yahuwah took him and put him over, you know, eastward in the Garden of Eden. And I 
believe, you know, or, or have tried to make a case that that's the area of Israel, Shechem specifically, and on Ebal and Gerizim were the two trees, and one uh, was the tree of life, and the other was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we talked about the knowledge of good and evil last week, I think, and that being a, a mixed tree. You know, it has good and evil. And uh, who doesn't do mixing? He has, he only does one thing. So, uh, so that led us to them being cast out. And of course, if they were cast eastward of the garden, if the garden was already in Israel, they would have been cast into the area of Babylon, the plain of Shinar, all that stuff. And that sort of leads us, you know, back to the seed of the serpent and the seed of Cain and whether or not that was a physical relationship that happened between um, the serpent and Eve or not, the result is the same either way. And, and uh, that's what we were sort of talking about. I kind of think that it was a physical thing because there are several verses in scripture that if, again, if you read them in the, especially, I think it's 2 Corinthians, there's a verse that talks about Eve being seduced, which is the actual word, by the serpent or the, by, by Satan or, you know, whatever. And it reads in English as beguiled. So if you, you know, if you look at the actual word, it says she was, uh, you know, it would give you the indication that there was, but whether it was or not, it doesn't matter because what happened is if you have a seed, you know, you all know how genetics work. You've got the seed and then the, the, the children carry on at least part of that. And if you have the seed of the serpent, you, you kind of don't want that genetic gene pool, really, if you can avoid it. But the point is, it's kind of the same. If it's a genetic gene pool and you're sort of predisposed to the things of Cain and the serpent and, and all of that. Or if it's just, if it's just you, you choose to do that. You know, if it's a, it, it's part of your heart or your character to disregard the things of God and to regard the things of the world. And as we look through all that stuff, um, I don't really have an opinion <laughs> I guess, whether it's genetic or environmental, I kind of think it's probably both. There are people who are born, it just seems, and you know, and that's the whole purpose of the story of the three pairs of brothers, right? We saw, you know, uh, Havel and Cain, and we saw uh, Ishmael and uh, Yitzhak, and then we saw uh, Asav and Yaakov. And that's kind of the point. One, you know, they're sort of born in the same sort of environment. And in one, one pair, I believe, the same father and mother, same house. One pair, clearly it's a different uh, mother, but the same father. And in the first pair, I think it's probably a different father, but same mother. So you see all the possible combinations of children being raised in the same house. And in, it doesn't matter because in either of those three scenarios, one leaned, you know, leaned towards the dark side and one went towards the light. And in all three of those events, it was the firstborn who disregarded the birthright and left, you know, left the light side and went to the dark side. And in each one of those cases, that uh, firstborn 
seems to think he's owed something because he knew that he's the firstborn. He should have received all this, and he didn't. He didn't receive the birthright. He didn't receive the the mantle of leadership of the family. You know, he and so they seem to think that um, the secondborn, or we're saying the children of light, the children of the seed of the woman, that you know, children tend to follow the Lord that those people have stolen something from these other people and they're owed something. And it's just not true. I mean, they, ne they, they never were going to have these things. They might have been the physical firstborn, but they were never the firstborn in the eyes of God because he's not looking for um, the physical part. He's looking for, are you willing to follow me? And that leads us back to what the house of Israel is, right? And that we get sometimes twisted around. I mean, you guys probably know, but a lot of people get twisted around about the Jews being horrible people and we're not Jewish and, you know, the church is the place. And, and the Bible doesn't say that anywhere. There's no place that talks about the church in the original language. It's all translated into English that way. The word in uh, Greek is ecclesia and all that means is a group of people. And it's the group of people that follow after Yahuwah that become what's called in English as the church. And we get that all confused with the house of Israel and the Jews and all that stuff. So, um, so back to the kids. Uh, it, it's interesting. There are a lot of people who get really uptight when you start talking about the seed of the serpent being an actual seed and Eve being uh, impregnated by this, but they're perfectly content with the genetic realities of the children of Edom. You know, Esau and, and uh, uh, Ishmael and all those guys, they understand that all the, the Arabs today, everybody that lives in that area, are genetically children of Esau. And Saddam Hussein proclaimed hundreds of times that he's a son of Ishmael, as though it was a proud and glorious thing, because they believe that the Ishmael was the firstborn, and all of this stuff is owed to them. And they believe that the, you know, the West Bank, the mountains of Israel are owed to them. And, you know, it's, so I don't know, I think there's both. I think some people are just genetically predisposed towards following darkness or the seed of Cain, and some people are genetically predisposed towards not. And it doesn't mean that if you're from the house of Israel, you're genetically predisposed to follow the Lord, you can't change your mind and, and go the, the other way, nor does it mean if you're genetically predisposed because you're a seed of Cain, that you can't change and follow after the Lord. And we've seen instances of both um, you know, all through scripture. And I think all that stuff is put there. So we know those things. It's not just some account or story or something. It's, it's so that we know nobody is condemned to uh, an eternity without God. And nobody is, is, is going to get an eternity where they don't have to worry about their faith, you know, that they're just automatically fit in. And in neither case is true. So all of those cases, we have some responsibility to choose to follow the things of the Lord. And we have some responsibility to choose to even know the things of the Lord so that we can follow them. So I wanted to start uh, in Bereshit chapter six, verse nine. And, it, and you guys know all this stuff. 
These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with Elohim. So I put a picture of that up there. No, no, oh, no, 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 that picture. Did I not put that up there? Okay. Now, as I'm, I, I wanted you to see it. That's what it looks like. And as I look at it, that's not really what it looks like. I forgot the sade at the front. But anyway, that's, you know, Hebrew re reads right to left. It would say, uh, Sadek Ish Tamin Dor which is a just man, perfect in his generations. And I put that up there. And if you can visualize a, a small Y at the beginning of that, I forgot to put the Sade up there, I guess. I don't know where it went. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, a just man, perfect in his generations. And that, I think, is, is the goal for us. We should attempt to be uh, those things. And I just wanted to... Print it out so you could see it. Sadiq says Sadiq Ish. Sadiq is to do right morally or uh, to be lawful or to follow the Torah. Ish is, as you may recall, the word for husband. So it's translated in English as man, but it's it's more than that. It's it's a husband because you know what an unmarried guy is capable of. You know they're a little wild sometimes, and they. They are calmed down with the addition of a woman. So this is a morally right or lawful or somebody following the Torah, and he's responsible like a husband. And tamim is the word for the whole enchilada. It means the entire thing. And it's interesting that it's used here in door is just the word for revolution. So it's a complete revolution. It can be a year. It can be a generation. It can be anything that starts somewhere and gets back there. It's a, it's a revolution. So it really says Noah uh, followed the Torah completely. He followed the whole thing, the entire thing, as did his predecessors. And it just means they were just and honest and lawful people. It doesn't mean that they were perfect. Certainly he made mistakes. I mean, everyone makes mistakes. But his heart was to follow the Torah, to follow the things that the Lord had said. So when we read he was... Um, uh, a, you know, a just man and perfect in his generations, it doesn't mean that he's perfect. It just meant that his heart is for following after the things of the Lord. And that's hopefully what our heart would be, that we would choose to, to do that. But the real story of that verse is after 10 generations, after just 10 generations... <laughs> almost 100% of the people had gone to the dark side. They had followed after the seed of Cain, regardless of what their genetic predisposition might have been. Most people chose poorly, I guess, is one way to say it. And if, if you, you know, and I don't know if any of this is true, but we know it's been 10 generations from the garden to the flood. And those people who count those things up say that was 1,423 years. I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. But whatever it was, in a, in a fairly short span of time, you started with <clears throat> the seed of the woman and the seed of Cain. 
almost 100% of the people moved to the seat of Cain's side and left the seat of the woman's side. And so you look at the world today, or I look at the world today, and uh, that's pretty much what you see. The vast majority of the people, because it wasn't this way 100 years ago even, you know, most people had some understanding of the importance of the word of the Lord. And now it's like it was in Noah's day. Ding, 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 ding. That's what the verse says, right? That the end of days will be as it was in the days of Noah. And, and what was it like in the days of Noah? You know, we, we tend to think, or I tend to think, that it, they were awful, horrible. It'd be like living in, you know, East St. Louis or South Chicago, or people are getting murdered and chopped up and rapes and robberies and people just driving into stores and stealing stuff that everything had had become totally debauched and you know and, and that's always the picture i see those are the days of noah but that's not true the days of Noah. i'm mean, certainly that happened i mean there were always you know probably there was always a south chicago or you know there's always stuff like that going on but i think the the more appropriate picture at least for us was and again, this you know leads back to how I started <laughs> with talking about some other people, but most of the people probably were not violent murderers. They had just left the teachings of Scripture. They had left the teachings of the Torah, and they did what they wanted to do. And it says they were marrying and giving in marriage, and they were just living life, you know, just I think just like we are today. They were living life, but have forgotten about the teachings of the Lord. They had forgotten about the Torah and the instructions and the things that they should be doing. And perhaps they were having, you know, bacon in the morning and were living with that benefit of marriage and bouncing back and forth between man and woman. And, you know, the, the Maimonides and Nachmanides and those guys say that there was this huge gay thing and that the people were fine with it. And you could have sex with anyone, you know, it didn't matter what sex or whether you're married or not. And it was just this kind of lifestyle that had forgotten about the instructions of the Lord. And I'm sure there was violence and murder and rape and all of that stuff as well, like there are in the big cities in this country. But for the most part, I don't think it was a terrible, horrible place to have to live. It was a place just like America today, where people have just forgotten about the teachings of the Lord and the instructions that he gave us, and they live the way they want to live. And, uh, you know, and I think of even little Happy Valley here, you know, I've heard the stories of Swingle Tree, right? How they, you know, every Friday or every other Friday or, you know, I don't, I don't get the schedule on my computer, but there are painted rocks in front of somebody's house and that's the place you meet. You know, and I've heard about the key parties in Eagle Ranch. You know, everybody comes in and they put their car keys in the bowl. And when they leave, you know, the girls grab a car key and that's who they go home with. And that's in Little Happy Valley. I, you know, and I, I assume that that's true. And they're not hurting anybody, right? It's just the way they choose to live. Okay, but they're choosing to live outside of the will of God. And I wonder to myself how many of those people go to the, you know, the swingle tree parties on Friday and then show up at church on Sunday. Or they go to the key parties, you know, Friday night and show up at church on Sunday because they think because they're being, you know, they're being good people. I mean, they're not, they're not out there killing and robbing and raping and maiming and stealing. And, you know, they're living 
fairly productive lives, I would assume. They can afford to live in, you know, Swingle Tree and Eagle Ranch. And they're probably delightful people. And we probably have them as neighbors and, you know, everything is great. But they're just not following the instructions of the Lord. And that, to me, that is, and the days of Noah. These last days will be like the days of Noah. And I think... Um, I think we're kind of there. <laughs> I think we've been there for a while and everything is set up and ready, but most people think, oh, well, you know, it's not bad. Life's good. You know, everybody's, everybody's fine. So what's the problem? And the problem is most people are not interested in the Torah of God. They don't want to know the instructions of God and let alone follow them because it would... Certainly you couldn't go to those places if you understood the word and the consequences. So I'm guessing it's just easier not to understand it. And to some degree, it's easier not, you know, to go to a church where they don't really teach that or put that in your face. Um, so I don't know. It kind of is. But, you know, if you ask people like, and I'm guessing because I've never been able to, you know, it's not like they come out and say, oh, yeah, you want to come to our key party? You know, I assume at some point they must invite people, but they must have a pretty good sense of that you'll come and that you'll approve. So obviously I don't fit into that category. They know I'm not going to approve. Um, but I think they're probably perfectly nice people. <laughs> you know, and why would you ask man on the street and it's like 99 out of 100 people when you ask them how you get to heaven, it's, oh, you just... You know, you just the golden rule. You treat others nice, you know, better than you, whatever. I don't even know the golden rule. But you just, you get there because you're, and there's a lot of people would say amen to that because they know I don't know the rule. Um, they just, they feel like if you're just good, if you're just nice, you know, and the rest of it's my business, right? If I want to do these things, that's fine. If I'm just good to my neighbors and, and I think for the most part, they are good to their neighbors. But that's, you know, the time is coming when uh, all that's going to, you're, you're going you're gonna to have to, you're not going to get to heaven by being nice to your neighbors. You're going to have to know the instructions that the Lord gave, and you're going to have to be willing to follow them and try to follow them and want to follow them. Your heart's going to have to be to want to follow them. And it's, you know, it's, it's not. Um, okay, so. Another one of those questions is always, you've got the two trees, if one's on Ebal and one's on Gerizim, and that's, that's uh, the garden of God's protected delight, if that's the garden of Eden, how did you get this other tree in there? Why is there even a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if that's bad? And why is this enemy of the Lord in the garden? I mean, it's his area. How can that be? So uh, I wanted to take you to Bereshit 1, verse 11. And Elohim said, Let the earth bring forth grass, an herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its own kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. So if you read that, it's pretty clear that uh, the Lord didn't just say, Okay, I want apple trees there, and oranges trees here, and a couple of banana trees over there. It says, uh, the earth was going to bring it forth. So that tells me that the seed was in the earth when he created it. 
and it was waiting for the conditions to be right to germinate or to grow. And when he called, you know, when he, when he put all this plan in motion, the conditions were right. And so the seed that had already been planted, hidden, if you will, in the earth sprung to life. And that started the whole thing. And uh, we've talked previously, and I can never remember which group it is, but there's a, I, this, this study of concealed and hidden and stuff is excellent. If you ever do a study on that in scripture, it's a, it's a blast. You look through all the things that are hidden. And, you know, the obvious ones are like Hadassah or Esther, you might call her, or Yosef, or there's a number, the number of people in scripture that the Lord has hidden in places, just waiting for the time to be right, so that these people can arise and save the nation of Israel, right? Save God's people. And Yosef did it, obviously, bringing the 70 members to Egypt and, you know, his brothers and all that stuff, and Hadassah and Mordecai. Um, got rid of Haman and their destructive plan. And I mean, there's, you know, Daniel, why, why did, you know, why was Daniel even in Babylon to begin with, right? Because the king took him and he was using him as an astrologer. Well, tell me that wasn't from the Lord. So he would have this guy hidden in, you know, in the, in the court of the Babylonian king for just this time, because he already knew, you know, he was going to put this vision into the mind of Nebuchadnezzar and this was the whole process right so the Lord always has people hidden just like he has the seeds hidden in the earth at creation and, and at the right time when the conditions are right these things spring up um, so you you look at all the people um, I mean and I don't ever recommend this but if you turn the news on you'll see Thousands of people, everybody you'll see is playing on the other team. They're playing for the, I mean, it's clear and obvious. The entire government, the entire news media, social media. I mean, anywhere you look, any information you get is going to be from someone who's playing on the other team. So they're in, in essence lying to you. And I keep thinking, well, you know, somebody's got to be able to tell the truth. But these are the times like they were in the days of Noah. And I think that's what it was like. It wasn't, it wasn't so much that he had to destroy the earth because there was so much violence. Well, I mean, there was physical violence, but there was, there was so much violence to his truth. There was so, nobody was following except for Noah and his family. And those people he used as a vessel to, you know, well, you know what he provide for the <clears throat> the repopulation of the earth. Um, so if all that's going on, and a lot of these people, most of these people, they're not evil, they're just confused, or they're they've got the wool pulled. You know, they think they're doing right. Some of them think they're doing God's work. But most of them, I think, just think it's the right thing to do. That they've been convinced that, you know, gays and lesbians and who knows whatever should have the same rights as a male and a female. Well, sure, that makes perfect sense to the world, but it doesn't make perfect sense to Yahuwah because he's 
a God of life, not a God of death. And you can't bring life out of any of those relationships. You can't bring life out of abortion and gay marriage. And, you know, all you can do is bring death. So he's not into that. But I think most of these people have been convinced or convinced themselves that they're actually doing the right thing. They're doing a good thing. They come knock on my door and give me a vaccine because they're doing it for the good of the community. They don't know that they're working in Satan's behalf and probably going to kill most of the earth. So <clears throat> Hosea, Husha in Hebrew, Husha 6.2, and we've done a whole series on this before. After two days, he will revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. And if you remember the context of the whole book of Husha, it was the Lord said to Husha, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go marry a prostitute because she's going to represent the way Israel has treated me. And so he goes through all this stuff and, you know, the, the, the kids are all named uh, things I can't even think of the names now, but they were uh, have no mercy and not my God and these various names. And he said, now in the place I gave them those names in that place, I will call them my people later. But when is that going to happen? Well, it's after two days, he'll revive us. So the world, as far as Husha was concerned, was full of prostitution and ugliness and uh, death and, and all of that. And uh, Yahuwah wanted him to come marry into that as an example so people could see the death and the destruction that their choices were bringing. And then he was going to bring those people out of that into the light. And when was that going to happen? At the end of two days, he will revive us. And at the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. And I would suggest and have been suggesting for years that we live, we are living right now towards the end of that second day. And there's going to be a time coming when that second day is over and the third day begins. And that's when everything's going to change. When the Lord will uh, do things, miracles, I guess. Um, and many, 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 many people will start to do, I think, what we're doing and, and start to see that the instructions of Yahuwah are important, that the Torah is important, and they'll be called back. There will just be something, I, I think, I hope, I pray, there'll just be something inside of them that draws them to the truth that's in Scripture. And the only way that's going to happen is when they see the futility and the worthlessness of following after the things of the world. And you see where we're going, and you see who runs this country and most countries now, and how far off could this be before we get to the point where it is obvious to many people, most people, that the world is just futile. It doesn't have any answers. That everything they've been telling you is a lie and it's harmful and it's bad and it's designed for one reason, and that's to separate you from your, your God. And the book of, you know, the book of Hosea is all about that. And Malachi the same way, you know, and they give these uh, they give sort of a time frame. And in Hosea, it's at the end of the second day. And he doesn't tell you, obviously, in years what the end of the second day is. But he tells you the condition of the, the world. And I would suggest that's where we are, like no time ever in the past. You know, there have been, all through history, there have been um, 
you know, ups and downs and good and bad and all that stuff. But never in the history of history has there been a time when so many people on earth are completely disinterested in the instructions of the Lord that have, they, they see there's no value in it. That why would I listen to him when I could be, you know, at my swingle tree party or at my key party or whatever it is, you know, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm, you know, well, I don't think it's ever been like that. I mean, there've always been people like that, but most of the people, and maybe I'm just naive, but I, I don't, think it's ever been like that. So if we go back to Shemoth or Exodus, chapter 8, verse 22, I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end thou mayest know that I am Yahuwah in the midst of the earth. So we've talked about that before. I, I, I think, I hope, I pray that um, he's going to use people like us, as the world deteriorates, the same way he used the people back then, because all of Egypt was now in, in the throes of just utter chaos. And they were able to look down into the valley of Goshen and see that chaos wasn't disturbing God's people. And I see the world, and I'm sure you do too, is falling into the same sort of chaos and disaster and that we saw then. And I think when it gets worse, the world is going to look at people that are not experiencing that kind of chaos, that somehow it seems like the Lord is protecting or, you know, and I don't know how that's going to play out with us specifically, you know, we're not all, all of his people aren't gathered into one spot, but I think it makes perfect sense to me, you know, and who cares what I think, but it does make perfect sense that as the world descends into chaos, there are going to have to be lights in the darkness. There's going to have to be people that, that appear to be un, undamaged or untouched or unchanged by the chaos that appear to be able to see through the chaos and see to the end. And I, and, you know, and I suspect that's um, people who know the Torah, people who know the truth. They know the word of God. We will be in Goshen wherever we are. And I think that the Lord will provide for us in some unusual way that will allow the people that are in the midst of the chaos to look and go, well, what's up with that? Just the way the Egyptians did, um, to the children of God back in those days. And we've talked about this, and I don't know that I've ever read this to you, but Rav Shaul or Paul in 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 10, this is the section where he uh, is telling us, if we're living at the end of days, to look back to these people in Goshen, to look back to the Exodus, to look back to all this stuff that we've talked about, um, and see what we can glean. And it starts this way. It says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Okay, so there's, you know, right off the bat, he's telling you, don't be stupid. Look back and see that we are all and under the cloud. Remember, the cloud was leading them by day, was shading them, was keeping them cool. And then the fire was leading them by night, was keeping them warm. 
He says, we all did that. And that's the typical Middle Eastern way of looking at it is our fathers did it, so we did it. We were in the loins of our fathers, so we did those things. And we were all baptized into Moshi, into the cloud, and into the sea. And we all did eat the same spiritual meat, the Torah. And we all did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Mashiach, or uh, Yeshua, or Jesus. And many of them, uh, and, and, and remember... <laughs> This is Paul saying, look to these people, look to this generation and glean from this. And he's saying, but with many of them, Elohim was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And we can read, we did read um, most of that 38 years is what it was while they were wandering in the, in the wilderness, stuff happened all the time. And many, many tens of thousands of people would die because of whatever sexual immorality or, uh, murmuring or you know all of these things you remember the ground opened up and swallowed Korah and all his followers and you know there's stuff that goes on and so he's saying look at that stuff and learn from it now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted neither be idolaters as were some of them and it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And it was written in Shemot 32. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Mashiach as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpent, serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now these things, now all of these things happened unto them for our examples. They were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So if you believe, like I do, that we are at the end of the second day, that the, that the end is, is coming, and, and end is not a bad thing, the end is a good thing, because we'll be out of this world and into the next, or at least the thousand years with, with the Lord. But these things happened for examples, to, uh, for us, not to them, for us, for the people living at the end of times. So, you know, he's saying, don't be an idolater. Don't lust after evil things. Don't commit fornication. Don't tempt the Messiah. Neither murmur. I mean, these are things he's saying, do not do, because you saw what happened to those people. And the earth would open and swallow a thousand people, or the serpents would come and kill 20,000 people, or, you know, and that's not likely to happen today. It's going to happen in a different way. Could it be through the vaccines, through the, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be something, but there will be people in vast, vast numbers because there were only two or three million people in the wilderness. There are, what, eight billion people on earth now? So, you know, do the math. If, if 23,000 fall in a day, that's, what, one-tenth of one percent? So if one-tenth of one percent of the world dies tomorrow because of their immorality, well, that's a number that is not going to escape notice, right? So he's saying... Use these things as our example. Look to those people. And one of the messages, of course, is Goshen. You know, maybe the Lord will provide for his people and not for us, but for him. But if he provides for us some sort of protection or uh, just like he did with his people back then, 
it's not so much for us, it's so that we can be a message to them. So that those people who are wandering around at the key parties and at the swingle tree rocks and maybe the violent, you know, all those people who are not following after the, the instructions of the Lord will realize their lives are empty. I mean, they have to be empty because they don't have God in the middle of them. And they'll look to somebody to get an answer to that, to find out where God is and who are they going to look to. If, if, the, if the entire church, quote unquote, was raptured and taken out before all this happened, who would these people look to? How would they know? Oh, he's sending 100,000 uh, um, or some amount. Is it 100,000? He's send, sending some witnesses, 144,000. Sending 144,000 witnesses. Okay, maybe. You know, maybe that's it. Maybe we can go and we don't need to. But I'm thinking if I read Exodus and if I read Paul and if I put these things together and I see the way the world is now and I see the way the world was in Noah's time and I read Malachi and the rest of Hosea and all of that other stuff, it's hard for me not to come away with the idea that we are here for a reason. That each and every one of us has been, A, I would think, genetically predisposed to follow after the things of the Torah. And B, maybe even more important, we have chosen to follow after the things of the Torah. And those are the people he's going to need to be Goshen, to be the equivalent of Goshen in this world. And I think it's uh, kind of awesome. So he says, now these things have happened unto, uh, unto them for examples, examples for us, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world were come. Therefore, let him think that he standeth, take heed lest he fall. And I, again, I look to, uh, you know, some of the flannel graph churches and the Catholic churches and, uh, you know, some of these places that are just absolutely 100% convinced in their own mind and heart that they've got the answers and they they don't. They think they're standing, but they're not. And I think those are going to be the hardest people to reach because they're going to be so utterly disappointed that everything they believed in didn't work. You know, it's almost going to be easier for us to be Goshen to the people who have never heard the truth of God, who have never even heard the word Torah, have no idea what the instructions of God are. When things get really bad, when there's no power and no food and you know, stuff is really bad. People are dying left and right, maybe from the vaccines and maybe from something else. Things are going really bad. They're going to be looking for something. And I think we can, in some sense, like Michael is doing with the 40 days, you know, we can, in some sense, provide a light to the people who don't have a light. That's, you know, that's Goshen, right? But think about all the, think about like Mrs. Coleman and, and the Roman Catholics who honestly believe in their own heart that the Roman Catholic Church has taught them the truth and everything else is a falsehood. You Episcopals or you, you Calvary people, you'll, you'll be lucky if you get there. But us Catholics, it's like we own the place. We're not going to happen that way. And how are you going to convince those people? You know, their heart has already been set that they're following the Lord, even though they're not. And I don't, uh, I don't know. But I look at people today and, you know, and I, Sounds stupid to say, I know, but I really don't judge <laughs> much. Um, but I mean, I'm worried. What about all these people that would rather play and 
you know, and I, and, and I, I know Dan's deal is why would you come to church wearing a football t-shirt with a guy, you know, some guy's name on it. That's not Jesus, right? It, a, it sends the wrong message, but B, is that really true that that's more important to you than the things of church? I mean, I don't know. It does even upset the dog. It upsets everybody who knows anything. You know, and, and we always used to get, I mean, if you, if you work in a church and you're on staff and you have some sense of the importance of the word of God, it's, it, 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 it's just upsetting. I mean, there's no other way I can describe it. It's just upsetting to see so many people every weekend choose to, oh, we've got to go water skiing or we've got soccer games or, you know, we can't make it to church or, you know, like that's okay. And I, I mean, I guess it's okay. I don't know. It's what's in your heart. Not, there's no tally sheet. Did you come this many times? But um, sometimes we would just rather play than learn the things of the Lord. And you don't have to learn it on a Saturday, on a Sabbath. You don't have to learn on Sunday. We all have Bibles and there's any number of infinite teaching resources. And we could spend as much or as little time as we want learning as much as we want or as little as we want. So um, he quoted from Shemot 32. So I just wanted to read that. Verse 7. And this is... Um, Moshe had gone up to the mountain. He was up in the mountain for 40 days, communed with Yahuwah. And then Yahuwah says, uh, there's stuff going on. You got to get home. So this is what he says. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And Yahuwah said unto Moshe, Get thee down there for thy people that you, that you brought out of the land of Mitzrim have corrupted themselves. So, and we've read this a thousand times, and the people ate and drank and rose up to play, because it's the same phrase appears, I think, four times in Scripture. Rose up to play. Well, you, you kind of don't get the picture in English of, you know, what they're rising up to do. Um, they had written Moshe off. They had written God off. Well, we're going to make our own gods. We're going to make our own calf. We're going to do our own thing. And they were celebrating that. They were making offerings to that and they rose up to play and they weren't you know it wasn't they weren't playing softball it was um they had forgotten the instructions of the lord and just it had been just 40 some odd days previous that moshe listed all of this stuff to the people and they all said oh and we will we hear and we will do those things and it's it's 40 days and they're not doing them anymore they've already come up with a whole new scenario they couldn't wait 40 days. They didn't have the faith to believe that God was going to do what he said he would do. You know, and I say that being totally incredulous, knowing full well that, you know, my, my, my time span would be like three days. If he hasn't answered in three days, then I got to come up with something on my own because he's obviously not paying attention. You know, and that's just how we are. But we need to, you know, we need to try to conquer that. And we need to have faith and trust that everything we see is, is you know it's in god's time plan we can't we can't manipulate it or speed him up or we just need to follow him and do what we can do um so i guess i'm concerned that there's going to be a lot of people that may find out 
too late that they had their priorities wrong, that they were too busy playing and being, you know, being good neighbors and not, not doing the important thing. Okay, so what, what was the problem in the garden? Right, you've got Adam and Chava and the angel of light. And, you know, there was an issue. And the Lord came and took action, right? And he punished the serpent and he punished the man and he cursed the earth, which goes back to why was Cain's offering rejected? Because his offering was not only an offering of his own hands, but it was an offering of the earth and the earth had been cursed. And they already knew, apparently, that there needed to be a blood offering to purify that. And he chose not to do it. But anyway, the earth was cursed. So what was the problem? Am I getting this wrong? That is pretty nice. I feel like I should don a hula skirt or something. Maybe some of those coconut deals. Um, okay, so what was the real problem in the garden? There was obviously the problem of disobedience. There was certain lack of understanding. But again, all I knew was good. How would they even know bad? Um, I would suggest that the real problem was it was the tree of mixed fruit. It was, uh, you, can't, you just can't mix. You cannot mix. So, you know, and you may or may not believe that. But he is huge throughout scripture about I cannot mix. I have to make one like the other. I can't bring both houses in. I can only bring one house. And there isn't even a third house. So the two, you know, the two halves become like one. And everything in scripture is, is that way if you, you know, if you look for it. But I want to go to um, Daniel chapter 2. And Daniel chapter 2 is the chapter where uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he, uh, he calls, he, he didn't know what to do with the dream. So he calls in all his astrologers and, and soothsayers and fortune tellers and all the wise men of the country. And he says to them, I want you to A, tell me the dream, and then B, tell me the interpretation. And all the astrologers and soothsayers and fortune tellers and all that correctly said, well, we can't do that. We can't tell you what you dreamed, but we can, if you tell us what you dreamed, we can interpret it for you. And so he basically says, off with your heads. And so he sends his guy out to start killing all the astrologers and soothsayers and wise men in Babylon, because none of them could tell him the dream. And he figured probably I get this part. He figured that if they really were these soothsayers, astrologers, wise men, they would be able to tell the dream and the interpretation. And if they were frauds and fakes, they wouldn't know what the dream was. So off with their heads. So that's, that's where we are. So picking it up in verse 31 of chapter two, and this is Daniel uh, who, by the way, the, the people had come to kill because he was part of that group. And he said, now, yeah, it's just, wait a minute. Why are you killing all these people? He says, give me a day. Let me consult my God. So he did. And of course, you know, the story, God gave him the dream and the, and the interpretation. So in 31, it says, thou king sawest and be, and this is Daniel telling him what he saw, beheld a great image and the, and the great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee and the form thereof was terrible or awesome or it was incredible. It was this huge deal. 
And the image's head was of fine gold, and his breast and arms of silver, and his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, and his feet part, and feet and heel, I might add, uh, part of iron and part of clay. And thou sawest till a stone that was cut without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken into pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the earth. So that's a great story. And we all know it. Um, Babylon is, most people interpret this as the, you know, as different uh, kingdoms throughout the history of the earth. And if that's true, then Babylon was the kingdom, the, the head of gold. And I would suggest that still fits because most of what we do today to this day is Babylonian. We sort of honor the same things and do the same things and um, all that stuff. So anyway, Nebuchadnezzar had asked the question, what's going to become my kingdom? And the Lord answered him and gave him this vision is how we got there. But Babylon, the first king of Babylon was Nimrod. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. He sort of inherited the, the deal. Um, so anyway, most people think Babylon is the head of gold. And then the uh, chest of silver would have been the Medo-Persians who came next. And then the thighs of brass would have been the Grecians who came next. And then the legs of iron would have been Rome who came next. And they all sort of fit if you, you know, if you do some sort of study about what the different, you know, iron is strength and gold is deity and silver is, you know, redemption and brass is judgment and all that stuff. You can make a case that, you know, and historically it fits. Those are, that's the order that they came. And then the statue is standing upon feet of iron and clay, which is mixed, right? You don't mix stuff. So Rome was the last big dynasty. So who's the one to follow? And this is part of the place where a lot of people think, oh, it's, you know, it's the revived Roman Empire because you see the iron mixed with clay. And if you think about the revived Roman Empire, um, and we've talked about this before, the, the Roman Empire, we think of Roman Italy as the capital of the Roman Empire, but forever it was not. It was Constantinople and what's now Turkey. So for more years, many more years, the idea of the Roman Empire is the Assyrian Empire. It's, it's, it's the Roman Empire, but they're headquartered in Constantinople. And all of the people they sent out were basically Assyrian. They were Turks because they were in the employ of Rome. But Constantinople was the, um, was the capital. So th this, this future or the last kingdom is a mixed kingdom because it's mixed clay with iron. And if iron represents the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire is mixed with clay. Well, what's clay? I mean, it's, it's the world. So this final empire... I think, oh, it's clearly a mixed kingdom. I mean, it goes to a lot of trouble to say it's mixed. It's mixed iron with clay. And if if iron is the Roman Empire, but if it's the Roman Empire from Assyria, this final 
world order, this final uh, empire is going to be a mixed empire. And there's never been a mixed empire before. And you think about what it means to mix and to mingle where everything is okay. You know, everybody is, is, is you know, every belief is equal to the other beliefs. If, <laughs> there you go. It's all about diversity and tolerance. Well, that's the world. That's the world we're headed for. That's the whole idea of the one world government, right? It's not just Babylon. It's not just Persia. It's not just Greece. It's not just Rome. It's everybody. It's one world. We're all mixed together. And in order for that to happen, the only thing we have to do is get rid of this whole God of Israel thing. Because that's what's holding us all back. It's these people who believe in the God of Abraham. You know, if those people just get over that and believe our religion, this one world, everything mixed together, everything goes, everything's fabulous kind of religion, kind of country, kind of government, then everything will be great. And that's pretty much what they're pushing, right? That's what they're all selling. Is, is we're all equal and nobody, you know, nobody is better than another. And, you know, we just need to get rid of these stupid Christians who can't get over it, who think that Torah means something. Or So anyway, I, you know, you, you didn't ask, but I ask as though you ask, what was the problem in the Garden of Eden? I would suggest certainly there was some disobedience going on there, but it's the whole mixed deal. And he, Daniel, and, and this, this is, Nebuchadnezzar said, what's going to happen to my kingdom at the end? This is about the end time. The whole book of Daniel is about the end times. You remember Cain and Abel, the whole story of, of, of that and all. Remember that was um, in the process of time. Mim, uh, Mim, Kate's, whatever that was. Can't even think of it. Uh, anyway, it was, it was at the latter days. That was it. Mim, Kate's, Yamim was in the latter days. That whole story is set at the end of time. First Corinthians and, and Paul is set at the end of time. All of this stuff is talking about the people alive at the end of time. That's us. So what are we going to see? We need to learn from the Exodus generation. We can expect to see this whole mixed up, homogenized world government. Uh, we, we're going to expect to see violence from, you know, as the enemy tries to crush the head of God's people, they crushed the head of Abel. Um, Esau tried to crush the head of, of Jacob. It's, you know, it's these, these things just continue all through scripture and they're pointed at one thing, us, the people at the end of time. If this really is the end of time and, you know, within a few years or decades or something, we're going to be there to see it. So it's talking to us. These are written to us. And then Daniel says the end of this vision was what? He saw a, a stone in Eben. Remember, there's six different Hebrew words translated as stone. So you have to look and see. This one is Eben. This is the one that's the contraction of the father and the son. So this is not just any stone. This is the stone. This is, and it's cut without hands, right? So man had nothing to do with this stone, with this father, son, with this even. This stone came, which is obviously a picture of God, came and did what? It crushed the mixed, uh, the mixed world order. It crushed the feet of clay and iron. And then it smashed the rest of it into dust. 
And then it all just blew away because it didn't exist anymore. And then this one stone that was cut without hands, the Eben, the father-son, grew into a, something that, that covered the whole world. Well, what are they saying? At the end, at the end of the second day, at the beginning of the third day, and I don't know, we've done studies, I think, on the third day. It's fascinating. Just look up all the times it says in the, on the third day or at the end of the second day. At, at that point in time, which I think is, is approaching, God is going to crush all this stuff. And the only people that are going to be left are his people. And his stone is going to grow into something that fills the whole earth. So there will only be God's people left. So you want to be one of his people, yeah? Otherwise, you get, you get crushed and turned to dust and blown away into nothingness anymore. So when we, we, we think about how bad the world's getting and you know, the things that are going to happen and all that stuff. We, or at least I, tend to think of it often in terms of me. You know, what's going to happen to me? Are they going to come to my door? Am I going to have to pull out the bullwhip? You know, what's going to happen? But that's never the point. The point is always them. What about them? You know, we need to make sure they see God, the, the people that are around us, the people we work with, the people that live next to us, the people that are going to the swingle tree parties and the key parties. And, you know, and like my neighbor, they're, they're delightful people. I just love them to death. But they don't know the truth of the Torah. They don't know, they don't have a saving relationship with the God creator of the world. And they need to, because the time is coming when the, when, when the last empire is going to be that mixed empire, and you can see it coming, it's a one-world government. Everybody's equal. Everything's cool. Everything's hip. Nobody owns anything. Nobody has you know any church or God outside of the government. It's coming. And it'll be six months. It'll be 10 years. I don't know. But it's coming. It's been coming for a long time. And then there's a point at which, at the end of the second day, that point which we're not clear what exact day that will be, that that will be the end that he's going to call it the third day and people are going to start either coming to him or they're going to be crushed and turned into dust and blown away so it's you know it should it should impact our heart not so much for us but for them what about all those people if they get stuck you know next year if this happens next year or in five years and they just they never they never knew the lord they didn't have a saving relationship with him well how are they going to find it and i would suggest it's through us how else are they going to find it they're not going to get it from the news or from TV or from schools or from the government. And half the pe more than half the people that go to church, aren't, they're not going to get it from them either. They're going to get it from us, I think. How else would they get it? So why are you here? I think that's why you're here. You know, he picked each and every one of us from before the foundations of time to be on earth right now today. So I would suggest he has a message for each of us. <laughs> And we should, you know, we should gleefully accept that message. And it should be heavy on our hearts, all the people that live around us that maybe have never heard or believed that message, because we know it's going to happen to them. And it's not going to be awesome. So anyway, that's where we are today.